All right, well, thank you, choir and praise team, for leading us in our time of worship. And we're going to continue in worship, even as we give and as we listen to God's word um, be proclaimed. Children, at this time, you guys are dismissed, so any of our children up through second grade, you guys can head over this way and go to your area for your special service. Well, it's good to see many of you back. Um, good to have our, our students, our youth back with us from their time away last weekend. And it's just good to be in God's house as we begin this new year of 2013. Today, our guest speaker is just a dear friend of mine. Um, his name is Lauren Penniless. And Lauren would describe himself much like many of you guys. He's, he's not a pastor. He, he's not a, a paid minister in any aspects like that. He works hard at his job to provide for his family and two sons, Gideon and Micah. And he tries to um, follow God with all of his heart. Uh, he serves his church faithfully, or he plays in the praise band, and he, he leads a, a life group there. And so trying to live faithfully to God, trying to lead his family well, uh, he thinks hard, and he thinks long, and he thinks well on how he can maximize his time, his gifts uh, for God's glory. And, and from his reflection on that, um, many people have benefited from the fruit of his writing, and he writes regularly at uh, his blog, alifeofasteward.com. I believe that link is, is in the bulletin today for you guys. I encourage you to check it out sometime this week. He also has a podcast, and um, today he's going to just share his heart uh, with us as he leads us in God's Word. Um, I know Lauren as a friend, um, and he has walked with me uh, through these past three and a half, four years, um, helped me think through decisions well, uh, and just been a great brother to me. So um, I encourage you to give your ear and attention to him as he comes and leads us. So Lauren, why don't you come on up here and lead us in this time. Three and a half, four years, he said. Man, makes me feel old. Didn't think it was that long. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me be here today. Uh, it is my joy to be with you here today, to share some scripture with you, to worship a little with you here today. Um, let me get my stuff set up here. I got all this stuff to keep me on time, because I figured it'd be real awkward if I'm here to preach on time and I run over time, but I probably will anyway, so... Anyway, it's a joy here to be with you, share some scripture with you here today. I've been listening to Brian preach online uh, for the last few weeks on your website, so I feel like I'm kind of a virtual member of your church in kind of a way, and uh, I'm really excited to be here with you today on this first Sunday in 2013, this first Sunday of a new year, because it's a real special time. It's a real, New Year's is a real emotional time. A lot of different holidays, they have their particular emotions associated with them. You've got Christmas, and you've got the excitement there, and there's the joy of Easter. Thanksgiving, a very emotional holiday, has its own kind of emotional flavor. Uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, those are emotional days. Valentine's, talk about emotions, an expensive holiday too. Then you've got uh, July 4th, you've got Memorial Day, those are very emotional holidays for a lot of people. But nothing really compares with just the storm of emotion that you get around New Year's. For instance, some of you, maybe the emotion that you're feeling is you're feeling determined right now. You're saying, when we think of New Year's, you think of New Year's resolutions, and you're thinking, this is going to be the year that I'm going to exercise, this is going to be the year that I'm going to read my Bible cover to cover, but also there's the emotion in the back of your mind, there's that lingering sense of doubt. 
because you're thinking, well, you know, New Year's resolutions, let's face it, they don't have a very good reputation. A lot of people kind of drop them about February or March. Maybe you've already dropped it. And you're thinking, well, you know, I failed at my New Year's resolutions in the past, and is 2013 going to be any different? Perhaps the emotion that you're feeling is excitement when you think about your new year. Think about Brian and Lindsay. They're getting ready to have a very different year when they give birth in a few weeks to their first child, and they will forever fondly look back at 2012 as the last year that they actually slept. So I told them now, go ahead and sleep while you can. Um, But maybe when you think of the new year, when you think of 2012 and you look back at it, you feel sadness, and you feel a sense of guilt and frustration because, well, what do you have to show for it? Know the years in the history books, and did you really do anything that mattered? Did your life actually count for anything? Did you just waste another year? Were you just going through the motions? And you're wondering, this time next year, am I going to look back at 2013 and like what happened that year? Maybe you're like, I don't have time for these New Year's resolutions. The emotion you're feeling right now is just busyness and stress. I don't have time to think about goals and adding something else in my life. I can't keep up with my life as it is. Maybe that's what you're telling yourself. Because this is a stressful time of year. You know, you've got Thanksgiving, and, and, and you put off work. All this stuff you have to do, you put it off because you're traveling, you're doing the family thing, and then you're wrapping Christmas presents and buying Christmas presents and going to Christmas parties, and next thing you know, it's Christmas and it's New Year's, and this whole time you've been putting off the work and putting off the work, and all of a sudden, you get to this time of year, and you've got literally weeks' worth of work backlogged. And you're thinking, I will never get to this because my life's already busy as it is. I mean, I've got work and I've got to take the kids here and I've got church over here and school maybe it is. Whatever it is, all these different responsibilities we're juggling. And we tell ourselves, this is a busy, stressful time of year. New Year's just throws it in your face. And it reminds us of the preciousness of our most valuable resource. And that's our time. That's why we have all these emotions swarming around around New Year's. Because time is an emotional subject how we deal with it, how we relate to it, how we manage our time, how we think about our time. It's incredibly emotional. And it influences every other area of your life. These New Year's resolutions that you talk about, if you're talking about, this is going to be the year that I'm going to exercise. This is going to be the year that I read my Bible through cover to cover. Time might be the limiting factor there. And we tell ourselves, if only I could just manage my time a little better, I'd be able to achieve this New Year's resolution. If only I could just manage my time a little better, I'd meet these goals. If only I could just manage my time a little better, then I would get to this time next year, and I wouldn't feel stressed. I wouldn't feel guilty about a year that I've wasted just going through the motions. If I could only just manage my time a little better, I wouldn't be so busy. I wouldn't have this backlog at work. It'd be done. If I could only just manage my time a little better, then I'd finally be able to slow down. I'd be able to relax. I'd be able to enjoy my life. If I could just manage my time a little better, my life would finally be fulfilling. We tell ourselves that all around New Year's. If only we could just manage our time a little better. But, well, I'm here to give you some good news. Because God, the God who created the universe, the God who created time itself, the God who created you, he's told us a lot about time. He's told us a lot about time in his word, how to think about time, how we interact with time, how to manage our time. And I want to talk about that here today. Now, this sermon is going to be a little different. I'm going to move through various concepts of what the Bible says about time, what God says about time. A lot of sermons, they'll pick one particular text, they'll pick one particular idea, and they'll kind of expand it and expand it and go over that in detail. We're not going to do that. We're going to move pretty quickly through several different concepts. And the reason I'm doing that is because my hope today is that of all these different concepts we talk about, one of them 
is going to stick out to you. Wherever you find yourself, whether you're young or old, whether you're male or female, whatever your career status, your income status, whatever your family situation is, whatever life situation you find yourself in here today, my hope is that one of these points is going to stick out to you. The Holy Spirit is going to take one of these points and it's going to go and just get you right there in your heart. And so once you've found your one point, you have permission just to tune me out, stare at the ceiling, every now and then just shout out amen or something like that so people think you're paying attention. Once you've found your one point, you're free to tune me out, and uh, we're going to move on, keep going through these different points. But I do want us to listen with the expectation that one of these points is going to stick out to you. That the Holy Spirit's going to give you one point today that if you really took it and you really applied it, would change your life here in 2013. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for what you have said about time. I pray, Father, for wisdom as I open up your word. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move upon this room, would move upon the people as we hear, the, as we hear what you have to say, as we listen in. And Father, I pray that you would pick out one point, that the Holy Spirit would just take that one point and stick it to us, stick it in our hearts, that we would apply that one point, that we would know what it is, that we would receive your wisdom here today, and we would leave changed here in 2013. Amen. So I hope you guys had a good New Year's. Um, I hope you also had a good Christmas. Christmas is a little unusual for me. Christmas is a little different because I was actually born on Christmas. My birthday is December 25th. Um, I was the only Christmas present that my parents ever wanted to return and the only one that they couldn't. Now they've, they've never made that joke. I make that joke. They don't make that joke. Otherwise I'd probably have to be in therapy. So let me go ahead and answer the questions that I know you have about Christmas. Yes, I did get cheated out of presents when I was growing up. I had cheap relatives who give you Christmas and birthday presents in one. My parents worked really hard to keep them separate um, and, and made up for it, so it worked out. It did stink never, ever having a birthday party anywhere near your birthday because no one's coming to your house for a birthday party on Christmas because no one cares about you. No one cares about your birthday. It's Christmas. But it was actually nice when I got to be a teenager because when you're going through that awkward teenage phase and you don't want to be the center of attention, you just want to hang out in the corner and be, leave me alone, mom and dad. You know, it was cool because they did because no one cares about you on your birthday because it's Christmas. And I like it now that I'm getting a little older because I don't have people making those corny jokes about, oh, you know that you're older. And uh, when I turned 30 a few years back, no one made any over-the-hill jokes or anything like that. It just was another Christmas because no one cares about your birthday. It's Christmas, right? So about uh, two weeks ago, Christmas 2012, whatever, two weeks ago, I turned 32 years old. 32 years old, and I feel really old saying that. And I know for some people, 32 might not sound that old. You might think 32, you're just starting your life. You know, not only that, you look great for 32. You're an incredibly attractive 32, incredibly young and vibrant 32. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And then there's some people in the audience, probably you guys over here. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're 32, you've got two kids, you've got a mortgage. If you feel like you're old, it's because you're old. And you're thinking that I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to click on Wheel of Fortune. I'm going to drink my Metamucil, right? I'm going to go to bed about 7.30. I'm going to put my dentures in the polydent. I'm going to complain to my wife about how my knee hurts in this humidity. But I feel like I'm getting older at 32. And getting older has been tough for me. And it's not gray hair or wrinkles or anything like that. That's not, that's not it. It's the fact that my life is flying by. That every birthday 
is another year that I'm closer to my time on this earth being up. It's an uncomfortable feeling to think about that. But Scripture says that. Scripture says you're going to die. Your time on this earth is limited, and your life is short. It is flying by. Scripture says our life is a mist that appears and then is gone. Our life is a breath. Our life is as quick as a weaver's shuttle, Scripture says. Our life is like a dream. Our life is over with a sigh. Our life is like a flower that blows away in the wind. And then Psalm 90 says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. And then just a verse or two later it says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. To number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I don't like to number my days. I don't like to think that I only have so much time on this earth. I don't like to think that every day that I live, that number's getting lower and lower. That number's ticking away. That's an uncomfortable feeling. But Scripture says, get that feeling in your mind. Keep that before you. Get that in your head. Wrap your head around that. Remember that. Your life is short. Your days on this earth are numbered. So make them count. Because your life matters. If you think of all of time, all of eternity, it's going to be affected by this little itty-bitty moment that you live that's called life. This little blip on the radar of time. That's your chance to impact the rest of eternity. And it's an opportunity that you won't get again. It's your only opportunity to impact eternity. And every day that you live is a chance to impact eternity, a chance that you won't get again. Every hour, every minute, every second, it's an opportunity to impact eternity, an opportunity that you're not going to get again. Every second you have on this earth, you make a choice. Open with me now, if you will, to Ephesians 5. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 5 today. We'll be looking at uh, verses 15 and 16. Now this is the most famous passage in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 5. This is the most famous passage in the Bible on time management. And it works out, we didn't plan it this way, but Brian actually preached on Ephesians 4 last week. He talked about 1, 2, and 3. He preached on 4 last week, and we're going to be in Ephesians 5 today. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time. Paul tells us to make the best use of our time. And I like In the original language, Paul uses this particular word picture. He uses this particular imagery. I think it's really instructive. I actually like how the King James Version translates it. Instead of translating this as making the best use of your time, the King James Version says redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Now to redeem something was a marketplace term. You would go to a public marketplace where there were slaves for sale. And you would purchase a slave and then set them free. You would redeem them. At a great cost to yourself, with great effort, you would go and you would take them from the bad situation of slavery into the good situation of freedom. 
That's what redeeming is. And Paul says here, that's what we're supposed to do with our time. We're supposed to purchase our time from slavery. And I'm thinking, what, is, what does that mean? What is Paul getting at here? What does purchasing from slavery have to do with my time? Well, look at the second part of that verse. It says, because the days are evil. What is Paul getting at here? Well, if you think of the context of Ephesians 4 that Brian preached from last week, if, if you look at the first part of Ephesians 5, this whole time Paul is talking about a contrast. There's light and then there's darkness. There is, you can live an immoral lifestyle, you can live an impure lifestyle, you can live a covetous lifestyle and be a child of dark, or you can live holy, you can live righteous, and you can be a child of the light. Now in the middle of talking about this conflict between light and dark, Paul says the days are evil. The days are evil. In other words, we live in an evil time. In fact, every time has been evil since Adam and Eve sinned. We live in in an evil time, and our world system is aiming towards evil. Our culture is aiming towards evil. Our society, our flesh, our sin nature is aiming towards evil. We don't start with a clean slate and think, do I want to do bad or do I want to do good? Let me weigh the options and figure this one out. No. You start already heading towards darkness. And if you just go with the flow of what the world system says to do, of what our culture and our society says to do, of what your flesh says feels comfortable to do, if you just go with the flow of that, you're going to go towards darkness. That's how your time is going to be spent. Your minutes and seconds are going to be spent in evil ways. And Paul says, don't be like that. We need to redeem the time. You need to rescue your minutes and seconds back from slavery to the dark and bring them in freedom. And see, here's the point that I want you to get. Because when we think about the days being evil, we say we don't want to spend our time doing evil. We don't want to spend our time murdering. We don't want to spend our time lying and stealing. Well, that's right. But this verse goes further than that. What this verse tells us is because the days are evil, if you just go along with the flow of what the world says, you're going to be doing evil. I'll give you an example. I would love to go back in time to myself in high school and slap myself silly. Because I was a good kid. Don't, don't, get me, don't get me wrong. I was a good kid. I wasn't drinking and partying. I mean, I made good grades. I went to church youth group. I was a type of kid your parents probably would have wanted you to hang around. But what I'd do is I would go to school. I'd make good grades. Then I'd go home and I'd watch TV. I'd play video games. I'd hang out with my friends. I'd just have fun. That's what the world, that's what the culture tells us we're supposed to do with our time when we're that age. Just have fun. And because I went along with the flow of what the world said to do, my days were spent in evil. I would have loved instead to spend some of that time maybe reading some books about God, some of that time serving other people, some of that time praying and growing in my faith. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you can't have fun. I'm not saying watching TV or playing video games or having fun with your friends is a bad thing to do. I'm just saying think about it. Just don't go along with the flow of what the world tells you to do. Because how many people do you know who are 32 who who say, you know what, I really wish I would have spent less time serving people and more time playing video games? Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm not like that. I don't have a problem playing video games and spending time just having fun with my friends and watching TV. I'm not like that at all. As a matter of fact, I'm a hard worker. 
I work really hard. I work hard to make a lot of money, to provide for my family, to try to get promotions, to try to make something of myself. Well, in that case, you're a workaholic. And you're just going along with another version of what the world says to do with your time. And I'm not saying work is bad. I'm just saying don't go with the flow. Don't just go with what the world tells you to do with your time. Maybe you're close to retirement and you're thinking, I cannot wait because I'm going to live a life of leisure. I'm going to tour around. I'm going to travel. I'm going to golf. I'm going to hunt. I'm going to fish. I'm going to do all these things I've wanted to do for so long. And that's what my life is going to consist of here in my final years. I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm just saying, think about it. Because if you go with the flow of what the world tells you to do with your life, you will waste your life. If you go with the flow of what your culture tells you to do with your time, you will waste your life. Because one day, you're going to stand before God, and you're going to be called to give an account. God's going to say, I gave you some opportunities to impact eternity. What did you do with them? I gave you a chance to redeem the time, not to be enslaved to darkness and enslaved to the world and to go along with the flow of the world, but to redeem the time. What did you do with the time that I gave you? We're going to be called to give an account. Because our life is not our own. We don't own our life. If I owned my life, I wouldn't have to give an account to God. I wouldn't have to give an account to anyone. I'd be like, it's my life. What do you care? But it's not. God owns our time. He owns our lives. He has given us our life, given us our time. He has entrusted us with our time. He's made us stewards of our time. Now maybe you've heard that, that, you've heard that word tossed around in Christian circles, a steward. A steward is basically someone that manages the property that belongs to someone else. So we hear that these parables of stewardship, there's the most famous one, uh, the parable of the talents that you see in Matthew 25. Jesus tells this parable of, of this rich landowner, and he goes out of town, and, and before he goes, he gives a great deal of money to three of his servants. And he says, I'm going away, and while I'm gone, get busy with this money. Do business with this money. Invest it, put it to work, make a profit. Manage this money. He made them stewards of his money. Now, they didn't own the money. They just managed it. And one of the things about being a steward is you don't get to make the decisions that you think are best to do with the money. You have to make the decisions that the master would want you to make. You have to be a faithful steward. You have to make decisions in such a way that if your master, if the owner of the property were looking over your shoulder, he would say, yep, that's exactly what I want you to be doing. We have to be faithful. And being faithful with our time is how you redeem the time. Being a faithful steward of your time is how you make the most of your opportunities to impact eternity. And being faithful is really simple. It's really just two things. You do what God wants you to do the way that he wants you to do it. You do what God wants you to do the way that he wants you to do it. Now, what does God want you to do with your life? What is the purpose of your life? Well, it's, it's to bring him glory. It's to show with your time that God is the most wonderful thing in the universe, that he is marvelous and that he is beautiful and that he is great and that he is worthy of worship to show that he is your God, that you love him with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And because of that love, you will serve others and you will love your neighbor as yourself. That's the purpose of your life. That's what God wants you to do with your time. Now, how does he want you to do that? How does he want us to bring him glory? Well, that's from Genesis to Revelation. 
God points out all these different ways that we can bring Him glory. All these different areas of our life, spheres of our existence, that we submit to the Lordship of Christ. He shows us how we can bring Him glory as a spouse. How we can bring Him glory as a parent. How we can bring Him glory as a child, as a grandparent. How we can bring Him glory as a neighbor, as a community member, as a citizen of the government. How we can bring Him glory as an employer, as a business owner, as an employee. How we can bring Him glory in the way that we handle our physical bodies. How we can bring Him glory in the way that we handle our money. How we can bring Him glory in what we say. How we can bring Him glory in how we study the Bible, how we pray, what we think about. All these different ways that we can bring Him glory. And there's one particular area I want to talk about. Because there's always the danger that when you talk about redeeming the time, when you talk about making the most of your time and bringing God glory, people think it's all about go, 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 work, 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 work. But God also instructs us to rest. And one of the ways we can be a faithful steward of our time is by resting. God set this up back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. God worked six days and he rested one day. He did that as a model to us of how we should work six days and rest one day. And then, of course, there was the the Sabbath command in the Old Covenant. And it was a pretty serious deal because if you worked on your day of rest, you could be killed. And, And we're not bound to the Old Covenant laws in the same way today as New Covenant Christians. But it's still wise for us to admit that we're created beings. And as created beings, maybe we should look at the instruction manual that our Creator wrote for us. Because God made us where we need to rest. God made us where we need to sleep. I was just thinking about this a little while ago, and it blew my mind. Think about this. God could have made us where we just worked 24 hours a day, where we never had to stop, we never had to sleep. But instead, He actually made us where we need to sleep. He made us where one-third of our life we're going to spend with our eyes closed in a semi-catectonic state, snoring away and dreaming about leprechauns and dragons, and that's the first day of school and you just realize you're not wearing pants. You know, I'm, I'm not the only one who has these dreams, right? God made us with limitations. God made us as finite, created human beings. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's what I love about stewardship. Because God made us as finite beings, He's not going to require more of us than is humanly possible. He knows that we're created beings. He knows that we can't do everything. He's only going to require that we're faithful. All we have to do is be faithful. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to cram 50 hours of work into a 24-hour day. All that we have to do is be faithful with our time. All that we have to do is trust in Him. We have to be dependent on Him. We have to be humble. We have to say, you know what, God? You you never sleep. I have to sleep. You never sleep. I was created. You're the Creator. You can do everything. I cannot do everything. Trust in Him and just simply be faithful. And that means that you're not accountable for the results of what you do. If you're faithful, you leave the results up to God. If you're faithful and whatever you do is a smashing success, 
then praise God. And if you're faithful in whatever you do in the eyes of the world is a dismal failure and you fall flat on your face, then you're still a success in the eyes of God because you are faithful. Faithfulness, being a faithful steward, is how you redeem your time. Being a faithful steward is how you make the most of your opportunities to impact eternity. And there's a secret to being faithful. There's one key ingredient to being faithful. I like to call it the lifeblood of faithfulness. The one thing that if you have, you'll be faithful. And the one thing that if you don't have it, you won't be faithful. Now we were just talking about the parable of the talents, and we talked about how there were these three servants who were given this money. They were made stewards. Rich landowner gives them money. He says, I'm getting ready to go out of town. While I'm gone, get busy with this money. Put it to work. Make a profit. Well, the rest of the story is the rich landowner comes back, and he calls them to give an account. And two of the stewards did a good job. Two of them managed faithfully. They were good stewards, and the master rewards them. But there was one steward who was wicked. He didn't manage faithfully. And it's interesting, in the parable of the talents, he gives the reason why he wasn't a good steward. He knows it. He knows he hasn't managed faithfully. And here's the reason he gives. He says, Master, you know why I'm not a good steward? You know why I have not managed faithfully? It's because of you. It's because I don't like you. It's because I think you're harsh. I think you're cruel. I think you're mean. I think you're a bad master. See, the reason that he was unfaithful was because of how he looked at the master. The reason that he was an unfaithful steward was because of how he looked at the master. See, in this parable, the master symbolized God. And if this steward would have remembered that, that this master was beautiful, that he was wonderful and marvelous and worthy of worship, then this steward would have been faithful. How he looked at the master impacted how he was faithful. If you want to be faithful with your time, it's because the way you do it is in that moment you're valuing Christ. If you're faithful with your time, in that moment, you hold Christ up as the most supreme thing in the universe, worthy of worship. Now, if in the moment, you don't hold Christ as the most supreme thing, if in the moment, you hold money up as the most supreme thing, then you're going to be faithful to money. If in the moment, you don't hold Christ up, if in the moment, you hold up your ego as the most precious thing in the universe, then you're going to be faithful to your ego. See, the key to being faithful is worship. That's the lifeblood of faithfulness, worship. If in any given moment you are worshiping Christ, you are, you are recognizing that he's the most wonderful, beautiful thing in the universe, then in that moment you're going to be faithful. And if you forget that, if in the moment something else looks more beautiful to you, then you're not going to be a faithful steward of your time. Now let's say you, you want to procrastinate, right? You've got a project to work on, it's kind of a bummer, though. It's challenging. It's tough. You really don't want to think about it right now. You just want to put it off. You just want to sit on the couch and channel flip a little. Now, you know that you should work on this project, but you're going to procrastinate. It's because in that moment, you're not valuing Christ. You're valuing your own sense of comfort. You're valuing your own sense of, of ease and of not being challenged. Now, here's where it gets heavy. In the moment when you're not being a faithful steward of your time, 
it's because you're not valuing Christ. It's because you're valuing something else more highly than Christ. That means that you're worshiping an idol. And that's a sin. That's a serious, black, disgusting, vile sin that is worthy of death. If you don't faithfully manage your time, it's because in that moment you're worshiping an idol. If you don't faithfully manage your time, that is a sin. A sin worthy of death. That means procrastinating a little bit. That's a sin worthy of death. Spending a little extra time at the office, working hard, trying to get ahead, trying to provide for your family. When you know you should be home, caring for your family or taking care of some other needs. That unfaithfulness of managing your time, that's a sin. Or maybe you're super mom, and you're saying, I'm, gonna, I'm busy, but I'm going to take my kids here to karate, and then we're going to go over here to piano lessons and over here to gymnastics. Then we're going to go home, we're going to tutor them. You're doing things that look good to do, look like great holy things to do, but you want to know the reason you're doing it? So that you can look in the mirror and say that you're super mom. So that all these other people look at your kids and they say, wow, that kid's mom is amazing. That's what you want. In that moment, you're not serving Christ. You're not even serving your kids. You're serving your own ego. That's idolatry and that's a sin. Worthy of death. Not managing your time faithfully is a sin worthy of death. A few extra seconds spent on Facebook when you shouldn't, that's a sin worthy of death. Hitting the snooze button one time When you shouldn't, that's a sin worthy of death. Now, I know what a lot of people think at this point. They're thinking, God's standard, that's that's pretty high. Got to be a faithful manager of my time every single second, or else that's a sin worthy of death. That's, That's a pretty high standard. So here's what we do. We tend to rationalize things. We think, well, okay, okay, you know, here's the deal. God's standard isn't up there. Because I don't think God is a mean God. I don't think God's cruel like that. We don't want to be legalists, right? We don't want to be like the Pharisees. I don't think God's like that. I think God is a God of love. He's a God of peace and he's a God of rest. So I don't think his standard is up there. I think his standard is right about here. And here's where I am, just a little below it. And here's where his standard is right here. Because his standard is a little higher than me because I've got a few mistakes that that I need to do. I procrastinate a little here and there. I spend a little too much time, maybe sometimes clicking around on Pinterest or whatever it is, right? His, here, here's where his standard is, and I'm just a little below it. And if I just worked a little harder and took care of these bad mistakes, then I'd meet God's standard. And then everything would be all right. God would love me, and I would feel all right with myself. But the problem is, you work a little harder, you get a little better, and you realize, well, I've got a few more mistakes I've got to take care of. I, I do hit snooze a lot, I sleep in sometimes, and I really blew it the other weekend, procrastinating, and, and, and you realize, well, his standard's just a little higher, so if I work just a little more, I can get up to his standard. If I try just a little more, if I'm a little more organized, if I plan my days a little better, if I'm a little better at setting goals, then I can finally get up to his standard. But then the standard moves up a little more, and we tell ourselves, well, I'll just keep trying. If I just keep working, if I just keep working, I can get up there, try a little more, work, 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 dig, 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 and I can get up to that standard right there. If I could just manage my time a little better, if I could just manage my time a little better, then I'll finally be there. If I could just manage my time a little better, then I'll finally be able to achieve that, that New Year's resolution I have of reading through my Bible cover to cover. 
And I'll finally be able to achieve that New Year's resolution I have of finally exercising this year. And I'll finally, if I could just manage my time better, uh, this time next year, I'll look back at 2013 and be happy with the year I saw. I won't feel guilty. I won't feel frustrated. If I could just manage my time a little better, then I won't be so busy and I wouldn't be so stressed. I'd be able to relax. I'd be able to finally calm down. I'd be able to enjoy life. If I could just manage my time a little, be- little better, then my life would be fulfilled. God would like me and I would like God. But see, here's what you've done. You've looked at God's standard and you've said, that's harsh. That's heavy. That is oppressive. And you feel the weight of it on your shoulders, the weight of that standard of perfection. And your reaction is to say, I can't stand the weight of that perfection, so I'm going to lower God's standard. But what you've done is you've set up a system that's even worse. In order to escape what you thought was the oppression of God's standard, His perfect standard of managing His time, in order to escape that oppression, you've set up a system that's even more oppressive. You've set up a system that tells you God will like you if you just work harder. You'll feel good about yourself if you just work a little harder. Work a little more and work a little more and work a little more. Dig a little deeper. Dig, dig, dig. Try, try, try. But the problem is this system is all about effort, 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 effort. And there's no room for Jesus. This system is all about law, 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 and no gospel. Instead, what we need to do is we need to look at God's standard and we say, you know what? That is high. That is heavy. I can't do that. I can't handle that. There's the best minute of the best hour of my best day. I can't meet that standard. And we have to let that weight fall on us and crush us and break us and make us realize our need for a Savior. Not for a time management guru, not for Jesus to, to be our self-help expert, but for Jesus to be our Savior, to save us from the weight of our sins. Because even though we can't manage our time perfectly, even though we can't measure up to God's perfect standard, Jesus did. He lived a perfect life, managed his time perfectly faithfully, and then he died a bloody and violent death to pay the price for all the times I don't manage my time faithfully. That's the message of the gospel. But see, it's more than simply just thinking, when I get to heaven, after I die, I'm going to be forgiven. God's going to look at me and say, not guilty. It's more than that. It means right here, right now, in this present life, God looks at me and he sees the righteousness of Christ. I'm forgiven right here and right now. And I can have that rest. I can have that peace. It means that right here, right now, I have the Holy Spirit within me, strengthening me, helping me to see Christ as the most beautiful thing in the world so that I'm faithful with my time, so that I redeem my time, so that I make the most of my opportunities. I've got the Holy Spirit in me right now, strengthening me to be that way. And it's more than that because I've got the Holy Spirit within me reminding me of biblical truth. Reminding me that when I'm working towards this goal and I'm working towards this New Year's resolution and I'm thinking if only I could just exercise every day or achieve this goal, read my Bible through cover to cover, then God would finally like me. I'd finally like myself. 
And the Holy Spirit reminds us that God already loves us. God already values us more than we can possibly imagine. And when I look back at a tough year, 2012, and I feel like I just went through the motions and I wasted my life, the Holy Spirit is there to remind me of Romans 8.28, which says that He's going to work everything out for my good. That the wasted years that I've had, the wasted years that I think I've wasted my life, God's going to turn that for good. I don't know how He's going to do it, but He's going to do it for good. Maybe the way that He's going to do it is you're 32 years old and you stand up on a stage and you tell other people not to waste their life. Maybe the way that he's going to do it is that you say right here and right now, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be like this. I'm disgusted with how I've wasted my life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to change in 2013. Maybe that's how he he redeems that for good. And if you're busy, and if you're stressed, and you feel like you've got more than you can possibly manage, the Holy Spirit's there to remind you that, yep, you do. You've got more than you can possibly manage. The Holy Spirit's there to remind you just to be faithful, to trust Him, to rest in Him, to find your value not in accomplishments, not in the praise of men, what you can do in the career field, but to find your fulfillment in Him and finally rest. The Holy Spirit is there to remind us of the truth of the gospel, the reason why Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died a bloody and violent death. So we've come to the end now. And I'm wondering what your one point was. What the one point that the Holy Spirit gave you today was. Because my challenge to you is that we would not be just hearers of the word, but that we would also be doers of the word. That we would take that one point, we would mull it over, we would take it seriously. And we would respond. That we would let that one point change our life here in 2013. Maybe that's acting differently. Maybe that's doing something differently. Maybe that's not doing something. Maybe it's thinking differently. Believing something differently. Feeling a different way about something. Whatever it is, I trust that the Spirit's given you one point of response today. Now perhaps you're saying... I hear you talk about Christ and his perfect life and his death for my sins. I hear you talk about how he can give you strength. I hear you talk about how he can remind you of truth. And you realize that, like the wicked steward in the parable of the talents, that you don't really know the master. You don't really look at him that way. And you've realized that you don't know him. And if you want to get to know him more personally, Come and talk to me and Brian at the front. We'll be here as your step of response. So as we get ready to sing this hymn here in a minute, I want to challenge you. No more New Year's resolutions this year, but we'll make a January 6th New Year's resolution. A January 6th resolution that we're going to change based on what the Holy Spirit has told us today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you've told us in your word. I thank you for the wisdom that you've given us. I thank you for the stress that we feel, for the times that we realize how limited and fallen and broken we are. Because I know those are times that you're breaking us and molding us into your image. 
Father, I don't know what points you gave to the people here, but I do know that you gave some. And so, Father, I pray that together we would just resolve to change today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would would move in us so that we don't leave here today and just forget what you've told us, but that we can really apply it in 2013. I thank you for all that you've done, dying for our sins, living a perfect life so that you can strengthen us to live a perfect life. We know that you were tempted in every way just like we were tempted. Father, I thank you for the blood on the cross, which makes it possible for me to stand before you now and say that I've wasted my time, I've wasted so much of my life, but that I absolutely know for certain that my better days are ahead. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to rest in you. Help us to trust you. Help us to make the most of our opportunities here on earth to impact eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.